0: Are you in the market for top-notch digital equipment such as mills, scanners, or furnaces?
1: Well god, time is now. IVAClar has introduced unbeatable rates exclusively for customers in North America.
0: IvoClar has made it easy for you to invest in cutting-edge digital equipment with ready for this, lower than prime interest rates.
1: I think that's no pun intended, but whether you're looking to upgrade your milling capabilities, enhance your scanning technology, or optimize your furnace performance Ivaclar digital has you covered
0: to take advantage of this offer the dedicated digital specialists at Ivaclar are ready to assist you for details on how to get in touch visit voicesfromthebench.com and select the Ivaclar tab to find all the information you need to get started and as always we appreciate your sponsorship of the podcast Ivaclar. Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 298 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Alva,
1: and my name is Barbara,
2: and my name is Joe.
1: Joe. Joe! Hey, what the hell, Joe? What are you
0: doing
2: here? Super surprised. For those that don't know,
0: Joe Young, multi-episode guest.
1: Oh, heck yeah!
0: And creator of fans of Voices from the Bench on Facebook.
2: Feel free to join.
0: Yeah, please do. Lots of fun. But Joe, what the hell are you
2: doing with bars? Well, no, well, yeah, we're we're at a committee meeting uh, for NADL, NBC and the foundation. And uh, you could just happened to be recording. So I felt
1: like I wanted to come by and say hi. Yeah, we were hanging out yesterday and he looked at me and said, are you guys recording? And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> freaking great. Come on. And so it just worked out. Jordan. We're in beautiful Tampa, my home state. It's awesome outside. We're outside just chilling. We we're only have a quick break, but he's the bomb. So number one fan right here, Joe Young.
0: Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Like a wedding, you're crashing our episode. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and fun fact, I'm actually a wedding officiant, so yes, it's is. Oh, I do know that about it you. It is kind of fitting. So you guys are both in Tampa, and you're sitting outside right now. I hate you so much.
1: Yes, we are, and there's a little cloud in the sky. It's kind of chilly for Tampa. It's probably 60-something, but yeah, we're we're killing it. We're working hard. Doing our executive committee initiative, having a wonderful meeting, and uh, now we're doing the intro with you.
0: Yeah, so just real quick, NADL, the foundation, and the NBC, these are the higher-end board members that get together and kind of wrap up the year, make plans for next year?
1: Yes, exactly. That's right. Bingo.
0: Joe, are you president next year? No, I'm going to be president-elect next year. Nice. Nice. Oh, so you get 2025.
1: Denise Buris, she's uh, president.
0: Oh, she hasn't been president yet already? She does everything else. This is her year. Nice. Good for her. We'll have to have her on the podcast Agreed. to talk about plans. Absolutely. Awesome. I know you guys got some rubbery chicken to get back to there at the hotel, so uh, <laughs> let's get on to the episode. Let's do it. This week, I... You. Because Barb was not present. I was working. present And Joe wasn't invited. <laughs> I got to talk to a gentleman that came all the way from Australia, and we love talking to people from other parts of the world. He reached out to us on Instagram and had a pretty interesting and unique story. Sam Thalassanos grew up in his father's lab, one of the biggest labs in Australia. Sam watched his dad work hard, as most technicians do, and wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. As we all know how that goes, eventually Sam started to work in the lab. He helped the lab get into digital technology as many of the second generation technicians did and after getting some pretty bad service and training buying some of the expensive equipment he had an idea sam wanted to start a milling service an equipment reselling company that sold what they used and used what they sold that's one hell of an idea isn't it so my that's when xyz dental got started nice and it grew from there Sam comes on the podcast to talk about the lab, starting XYZ, how they help labs a little different. And what's also cool, his role on the board of the Australian Dental Laboratory Association and that semi recent move where they deregulated dental technicians in Australia. Well, that's bullshit. It is huge <laughs> bullshit. Jeez. <laughs> it's a great look into dental labs down under. So join us as we chat with Sam. Whether you're looking to elevate
1: your craftsmanship or looking to cut back on cost, look no further. Vita MFT teeth are the ultimate solution for creating lifelike and stunning smiles.
0: Crafted with precision and backed by cutting edge technology, Vita MFT teeth offer unparalleled aesthetics and durability.
1: And since Vita believes in the power of experiencing excellence firsthand, for a limited time only, they are offering you the chance to get a complimentary case sample.
0: That's right, a full case, absolutely free. Just visit VitaNorthAmerica.com
1: forward slash free MFT. Don't wait any longer to start providing your customers a premium tooth at an economy price. Redeem your free case sample and if you're ready to buy, Vita will even give you an extra 10% off discount by shopping online on their newly launched online store.
0: Join the Vita family today, and we appreciate your support
2: of the podcast. Hey, it's Candelor from Switzerland. We have been designing teeth since 1936. Successful tooth design knows only one benchmark, your own standards and those of your patients. Discover our Toothline PhysioSet TCR with new 18 anterior molds, manufactured specially for the US market and your daily work at your bench. If you are looking for new options in removable, get to know us at candelore.com and find out more. You will be supported and supplied by our authorized dealer, Edmunds Dental Supply. Candular. High end only. Voices from the Bench.
0: The interview. Oh, yeah. I have no idea how to say your last name. <laughs> so it's Thelicinos. Thelicinos? Yeah, yeah, close enough. I mean, you know, after a couple of drinks, I can barely
3: say it myself. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst. Greek surname that you you encounter, believe it or not. So yeah, but Thalassinos
0: is fine. Awesome, Sam Thalassinos. Yep. Welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? Really well, Elvis. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate you connecting with us on a little bit of an odd time because you're actually coming to us from tomorrow. I hear. Correct. We're in the future. Yes. How is it? Is everything still okay in the future? <laughs> Um, yeah, I
3: mean, not, not a whole heap has changed. The world looks like it's in one piece. Nice. We've got Melbourne weather outside, so it's really cold right now, and then, you know, by the afternoon,
0: it'll be sunbathing weather. So, yeah, no, listen, everything's going swimmingly. <laughs> Sounds very American Midwest. Right. Uh, four, four seasons every day. Yes,
3: that's what they say here, too.
0: Well, Sam, obviously, you're calling in from Australia, mm-hmm. and... This is exciting. We don't get a whole lot. I mean, we've we've had quite a few, but you have a unique position there in Australia with XYZ Dental. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of get into really how you came into the industry before we get into what the end of the alphabet means.
3: <laughs> okay, cool. So, wow. Where do I start? So, okay. I'm a second generation dental person. Yeah. Father George uh, owns a laboratory in Melbourne, which is one of Australia's largest. It's called um, Georgio Dental Laboratory. So they're a full service lab, you know, specializing in crowns and you know, all on four kind of work.
0: Yeah. You said the largest? One off, one off, yeah. One off of the largest, okay. Well, one of the largest.
3: The thing is, with large labs in Australia, if you're one of the largest, it's like being the tallest midget. I mean, when you compare it to. <laughs> Labs in the States, they're quite small. But, you know, uh, in the context of we have 24, 25 million people in Australia, we have quite yeah. a, a geographic kind of disparity in, in respects to, you know, huge landmass but only so many people. So it does present some unique challenges around how labs can support their clients. There's a lot of out-of-regional clients that uh, have to be serviced by an increasingly, like to say, uh, schizophrenic uh, postal service. <laughs> Sometimes, and I mean, I, I have that challenge in my own business now that I'm not in labs anymore, but uh, when you're supplying you know, CAD-CAM products to people and the next suburb over can't get something overnight, but then some random outback dentist gets his uh, VOCO blocks the next day. It just, it just, Do
0: you not have UPS out there?
3: Uh, we have a form of it. Uh, we have a few different forms of it, but they're, they're not great. Uh, so, you know, okay. we, we have our TNTs and we have our, you know, in Australia, we use Star Trek, which is, you know, a, an offshoot of the Australia Post. So, I mean, we have them. They're just not. Yeah. Good. But first world problems. We can still service clients. But, sure. Yeah. yeah. So going back to that. So dad, I'm a second generation dental person although uh, I had absolutely no interest in becoming you know part of the profession whether that's as a clinician like dad is dad's also a prosthetist which I think in America, oh wow yeah. yeah let's call them denturists I think over mm-hmm. here yeah. yeah and he's a you know a fairly well credentialed ceramist he trained with you know the original Yamamoto and um, done some stuff with Oliver Bricks and Dubassi and uh, it's funny, sure. he doesn't really get, I don't know, all that starstruck, but, you know, don't touch his Debassi book, you know, that has <laughs> uh, from, from Debassi. Don't, you know, don't touch his, his uh, Yamamoto books. It's like, okay, dude, it's it's cool. Um, <laughs> you know, he treats them the way I kind of treat uh, Leo Messi um, signed shirt, you know, it's thing it's, yeah. He loves it. But yeah, so dad was a son of Greek immigrants and pulled himself up by his bootstraps, all that kind of story, and established a, a lab effectively from home to start off with after, you know, uh, being a part owner of another major lab in, you know, in his 20s. And, you know, that business was a family business and continued to grow And simultaneously, you know, was on my own path. I, uh, you know, did okay at school and went off to university and decided to do a business degree. Um, I wanted to get into marketing. I had no interest in dental at all. So you grew up in the lab, though. I mean, it was in your house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's, that was only the first couple of years. But even after that, I mean, I I remember one of my favorite soccer players here was getting a crown done, and I begged my dad to touch the uh, coping, you know, and and sandblast it because that was going to go in his mouth. <laughs> and I was so excited, you know. That was eight, so I suppose that's when my service started. But yeah, I mean, I it was a family business. It started really small, and but I. I suppose, you know, I saw how hard dad worked and, yeah. I really, you know, love dentistry, probably not because of hard work. We we'll never shy of hard work, but, uh, I mean, this isn't a uh, psychologist couch, but I, I suppose, you know, seeing that- Actually,
0: it's, it is. So, kind of lay back. Natural. Yeah. So,
3: anyway, I could <laughs> join in. Um, but no, listen, I, I saw dad as um, working really hard and I craved, you know, to be like him, to, to be around him, but I certainly didn't want to- I suppose the hours just seemed...
0: Uh, oh, t- no, I... Yeah, we live it. We get it. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the unappreciative, the, the thankless work that you do. Yeah. Do you,
3: um, you know, makes so much sense to me. I mean, I prefer looking at those memes than political ones because it's just like, yeah, I, I get that. You know, the lab sheets with absolutely no detail on it and just do the best you can and, yeah. you know, two teeth in the impressions and it's like, oh, fantastic. Yeah, we'll do the best we can. You know, I grew up that way and, you know, I went and went off eventually and, you know, I was a little, like a young entrepreneur. I was in the rag trade when I was quite young. and The what trade? Uh, the rag trade's a clothing, Um, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I, I potted around with that whilst doing my degree and had my own business with a little bit of money that I'd saved up from doing retail work and, and hospitality. And, you know, that was around 19 and... You know, I was doing my degree and then I said to dad, listen, we we take a bit of a a gap year off. Uh, Can I just come and work with you and just give you a little bit of a hand? And I I did that for the school year, you know, and again, like just made a few changes um, in terms of marketing and, you know, uh, doing anything I could around the lab and and the like. And then um, went back to uni, finished that off. Had my business, which was still running there in the background. It was a clothing boutique. It was doing okay. Solved that. Worked for as an account manager and design for uh, L'Oreal Professional. Um, did that for a year and on paper, looked great. You know, finished my degree and this was the corporate career I was going to head down. Yeah. I was miserable after a year. And I said, you know, this isn't me. And dad pulled me aside. He said, listen, mate, I really need help because we're, we're trying to grow the lab. I want to... uh Do a little bit more in terms of, uh, you know, marketing and, you know, his logo was still something that was pulled out of Microsoft Word. They wanted to work on their processes as well and, you know, effectively uh, bring it into the 20th, 21st century. Sure. And fantastic lab, really good skills. Technicians who had been with him from the start, from when he started in the early 90s. So the lab's going on 33 years now, or 32 years, something like that. So he had his guys there from the start and you know I said okay I'll help you out for six months because I want to get back into clothing Mm-hmm. It's turned into 10 years yeah
0: famous last word sure
3: and because after every six months there would be a there, there would be something else to do there'd be a new lab management system to bring into play you know there would be a new market that we wanted to explore um there'd be a new product to introduce and you know we just continue to work and build it. And it was fantastic. And I I grew to love the industry. Um, In some ways I didn't. Um, And I suppose XYZ had come about because, you know, dad was one of the first guys to bring in um, uh, in in-house milling into laboratories. So he was one of the largest users of the Noble BioCare uh, system.
0: Oh, sure. The Procera. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So he's one of the largest users of Procera, brought the first Procera in, or one of the first, I believe. We're a huge customer of theirs. We had done a lot around um, bringing in like AGC crowns, like Oro Galvano crowns, and whatever mm-hmm. we knew that was kind of at that time on the edges. And, you know, he was doing a little bit of work as a KOL for 3MSB and uh, presented at the Noble Biocare Symposium for his um, for the Giorgio Sectional Bridge, which was a, a patent that he had. So we were getting some really cool traction and things were going well. You sure. we know what? This is time. Let's let's get our own milling machine and our own system. And a reseller for a CADCAM machine had effectively sold us this machine for I think it was about half a million Australian dollars or three quarters of a million Australian dollars. Yeah. Pretty much left us a manual in German. Um, <laughs> a little bit of training. I, I think eventually we got a translated version and then they um, kind of left us to our own devices and you got to work it out. And Good luck. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you guys have had the same experience over in the States in, in those early days, but it was really scary because, you know, we signed a contract to only use their materials and had no support, effectively, um, very little amount of support. And I remember saying to my dad, you know, I've worked in a few other industries and, you know, I know I'm young and all, but isn't it weird that a guy who sells you a car, right, you'd expect he'd have a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. In this industry, someone can sell you something and have no idea what to do with it at all. Just stare at it and say, yeah, no, listen, we'll hook you up with another user in the States or another user in Japan. And I think, um, yeah. you know, dad eventually had actually met the Meyer brothers um, over at, uh, in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were fantastic. So, Dad went over there and got to learn about how to use the machine. And the reseller at the time had sent him over there. I think it was, I don't know if it was, but it might have been under threat of uh, of litigation. But they sent him over (laughs) there. The the boys there really helped him out. There was another Japanese user, and he helped out as well a little bit. But, you know, it took him out of the lab. And I thought it was insane. So, that kind of set the seed even from those days. And then later on, you know, we, we took on more three-shaped licenses and, you know, mm-hmm. and others and, and scanners and the like. And I just thought, you know, we don't have anyone like a Glidewell here or uh, I think Cap it was that used to do it where they actually had an understanding of the stuff that they were selling. And they had a milling center or a production center that backed it up as well. And yeah. I said, one day I want to have a company that uses what it sells and sells what it uses. And I want to have a milling center and uh, eventually a 3D printing center, of course, that can produce work on behalf of labs and, you know, larger scale practice groups until such time that they're ready to take on their own um, bit of technology. So that's what we do. That's what XYZ Dental is. Um, it is effectively a supplier of milling machines, 3D printers, all the consumables and accessories that complement a digital workflow. But also we have a production centre that produces anything from basic cobalt copings and substructures to you know, full arch uh, titanium direct fixture uh, you know, work, also zirconia, of course, bike plates, uh, the, the whole gamut. Um, yeah. and then, effectively, what happens, and we see it a lot where a client starts with us really small, sends us a little bit of milling, and then we get to a stage where their lab bills pretty high or their milling center bills pretty high. You're like, uh, dude, I think it's time. I think uh, we can supply you 52D from Roland, or we can supply you. Yeah, you're doing a lot of bars. Um, it actually makes sense to buy. Run home as I machine. You know, there's that side of it. And the other side was that I also, with that in mind, with the whole support kind of thing in the back of my mind, I also saw what the chair side market was doing in Australia uh, in those days. And speaking to clients who, you know, I won't say the name, but they'd gone and spent a lot of money on a, on a closed system. Um, and, yeah. And listen, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think it's fantastic in terms of just spits out what you need it to spit out and dumbs it all down for you. That's great. But I felt that it would it be great if there was a scalable option. So, yeah, the scalable option uh, would be that you can start with a natural scanner and you can you can then add on uh, what we call Klaus, which is our system, which is effectively an integration between Exocap and Natural Wissabills, which gives you a full cottage side solution, but at your own pace. So that's XYZ. That's... Um, what
0: it does. When you started working for your father and you were introducing all of these new technology to these technicians that have been sitting there since the 70s, mm-hmm. was there a pushback or did you find that they gravitated towards this technology pretty well? Um,. <sighs> So Especially is, your dad. I mean, did you was your dad on board? <laughs>
3: oh no, he was the driving force. So I, I think yeah. it's not the age. I think it's more the mentality. And I'll be kinder to them. They're more from the eighties, those guys. Okay. Um,
4: sure. yeah,
3: <laughs> uh, I think we might have had one guy that was from the, the late seventies. He'll kill me if I uh, he's just only recently retired. Sure. He'd kill me if I, t- I told everyone he start in the seventies.
2: Uh, <laughs> dad, and,
3: yeah, I mean, Dad pretty much ended his apprenticeship just on 1980 but he was still very very much attracted to anything that would make his work better and his life easier Mm. I suppose whether that was a piece of technology whether that was a staff member whether that was a system uh, a material he gravitated towards that and I think the other thing is too is I've always believed that we need to we need to work in the present. And what we did in the past, that's great. Uh, but famous last words are, oh, "I've always done it that way."
0: Oh Yo, sure.
3: Yeah, you know, there's always that story about the first guy who did the high jump going backwards. You know, just as he gets towards the uh, the bar, he turned his back and jumped over and beat the world record twice. Now everybody else, leading up until that moment, just try to jump over it forward. And uh, this guy just thought simply, well, hang on, I'm going to get a lot more push once I jump off my my toes uh, with my back arching over the bar. And it's sometimes a simple push. Sometimes, sometimes it is just like, well, sure, you've done it that way forever, but here's another way.
0: So the high jump, people always used to jump forward. Yeah, look it up. I I don't doubt you. I just like mental. Betrayal, it isn't really it? makes sense. <laughs> right because that's they. you know they were told that but i love way. that analogy that's and great
3: I, I i've always said it's famous last words just because we've done it this way doesn't mean that it is the right way or that we can't augment it we can't change it sure and to be frank with you anyone that had enough pushback it's going really last long because ultimately if they're not you know we're talking a 50-man lap Right. If we're not all pulling in the same direction and trying to push each other to do better every day, then you're probably not going to last long. Not, you know, uh, you're going to get given your marching orders, but effectively you you kind of don't fit in. You don't fit in with yeah. the culture of the place. It's kind of like a sporting team, right? Um, yeah. We, you know, as from a management perspective, we try and give the best environment for people, you know, to do the best that they can every day. Now, if they choose not to take up that opportunity then i suppose it's on them isn't it
0: oh absolutely 100 percent. i think that's the
3: same you've obviously worked in labs and you know you've seen how labs work and i think the best managers are the ones that kind of let their staff just do it but provide a good environment to do that so yeah
0: so when you started xyz Mm -hmm. was it in your dad's lab or did you branch out oh no no i branched
3: out so Effectively, the first office was actually in the garage behind the lab. Nice. He had some space there, yeah. Um, So started off with one big 3D printer. You started printing first. Yeah, because, well, so the first thing that happened was, while I was still at at Giorgio, I had um, secured a grant for them for a large format 3D printer. It was a 3D systems thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. We ended up saving six tons of plaster waste in the first year, which... Uh, won a sustainability victoria awards our, our region here um, and we secured a, a pretty uh, small grant i mean it didn't really cover all that much but it was just a nice recognition that we had done something um, that was uh, sustainable um, and it also was providing a you know, really nice
0: 3d print you got acknowledged for using less plaster
3: yeah, because there's a lot of plaster and runoff and water and track yeah. cleaning. Yeah, so that was a huge thing. So, But was... doesn't
0: 3D printing have its own problems with the alcohol and the non-biodegradable resins and all that? Or It
3: does, um, but effectively because there's not as much runoff and because of, I suppose, the robustness of the, um, the model. Listen, let's be frank, it's probably not that much better. But it is better yeah. that you just print what you need. Um, particularly if your nesting is, is done right, and you're not using sure, it much sure, much yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but in terms of getting rid of plaster, I mean that in itself is a bit of a quagmire um, in terms of uh, keeping it clean uh, and the, uh, the amount of water that's being used to produce that. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. certainly an argument. I, I don't think that 3D printing is perfect in that respect, particularly you know the use of power and. And all the rest of it but you know take into account pbs impressions alginate you know don't get me wrong i think
0: you should get an award just for not pouring models (laughs) 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 i I think just for the mess to be honest with you like yeah uh, so it's funny i was having a
3: conversation with a practice yesterday and the guy goes to me um he just said i'm sorry if i'm gonna i won't curse on, on on air but he said uh just there's all this crap everywhere in this, in this plaster room. And I said, send me a photo. And all it was was that the guys had been pouring models, you know, with these old dentists and they were using the vibrators and weren't really cleaning up bath themselves.
4: Uh-huh.
3: And then I sent him a photo of another client that just had, you know, a little Lasega Max UV printer sitting there in the corner, humming away, printing the models out, you know, with bath next to it. And I said, if you're just pouring models, just do this you know, just buy the printer and you'll be sure. Sure, And you'll use a lot less space. So, um, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. So you got the printer, you're in the, yeah. So that was
3: with George and we'd won that. And then as part of that process, um, I'd been contacted by 3d systems and they said, Hey, you know, you guys know a lot about these printers and you thought about perhaps you could, um, distribute them on our behalf. And I said, Oh yeah, I actually have thought about doing that. So XYZ was born initially as a 3D printing bureau for other laboratories. Mm. And we went to all of Georgia's biggest competitors and we went to smaller labs who who hadn't quite gotten around to buying their own 3D printer. And at that stage, no one really had, even the big labs. So we started uh, just 3D printing. Um, And then, you know, there was a way we could uh, come up with a bit of... um, Revenue uh, to start off with. And then just slowly added on uh, some brands to distribute. So Dental Wings was one, then, you know, IMSI Core, of course, uh, Roland, White Peaks. Uh, White Peaks was actually probably our earliest partner. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've just continued to add on uh, brands uh, that we love working with and the ones that we would use ourselves. You know, I can't sell a, and I get contacted all the time, hey, why don't you? work with us and sell an OEM zirconia. Problem with that being is that I don't like your zirconia and <laughs> it's because it sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, but it's so much cheaper. That's great. Oh, you need a, a second option to give your client. Well, no, I don't. I'm going to give them the option that we use in the milling center because it works um clients are happy and guess what when they're using it in a milling center and then they move on and sell them a milling machine um they're going to want to use the same zirconia and if they don't they'll learn very quickly that they should be using that zirconia and they also should be taking in and comprehending the training and the support that we give them around you know sintering cycles around post-processing of these materials um so, yeah, but yeah, as I was saying, we, we started off there as a, a reseller of a, a few small bits and pieces, um, mm-hmm. but then we were given a great opportunity by mm-hmm. Strauman here in Australia to support the CARES digital system. So yeah. CARES is a rebranded Venowings uh, system, mm-hmm. the lab and chair-side solutions, as well as co-diagnostics, the guided surgery um, software. Um, so we collaborated really well with them. It was... You know, not easy because they're in the process of acquiring the whole company. So, kind of working out where the lines of demarcation were was was a challenge, I must admit. But we still have a great relationship with them. But we moved on uh, from Dental Wings a few years ago and moved more towards Exocad as as a platform. Yeah, going you know, to how
0: open it is and. And, um, yeah, it works quite quite well. Are people still using dental wings in Australia? I mean, it's pretty dead here in America. I mean, except for Strawman, but...
3: Yeah, not really, to be honest with you. Uh, It's a shame. I mean, it had a lot of uh, great potential. Um, But obviously, you know, Elvis, there's there's people way above our pay grades who make uh, decisions on a corporate level. And um, whilst we may may not understand them, you know, I've learned very quickly that you can't... uh, Get too attached to brands. They're not people. Um, you know, you can't get too attached to a product. It's just a product. It can be rebranded the next day. It could be completely swallowed by a, a new company and you just need to deal with it. The main thing is the customer and ensuring that they're supported and treating them the same way you would have expected to be treated as a, a lab owner or a manager. You know, I mean, I felt the pain. I know what it's like when you call up your rep and say, hey, my scanner is down. And they say, oh, I don't, I don't, I've i just sold it to you. I don't, I don't know how to fix that. And then you've got to send it, you know, by FedEx to some random service center and you don't have a scanner, you know? Yeah,
0: you're, you just bought it and it's gone for three months. And I
3: felt that pain. So I always remind myself, I'm very clear that when, you know, my team, when I talk to the support team and say, guys, you know, that customer has spent a lot of money on this and they're really relying on it. Um, and I know what that's like to rely on that piece of equipment. So if we can support them, if we can do our very best every day to support them, then, you know, they're going to be really happy. And, and that, that engenders a, a really good relationship between uh, us and them, you know, and, and really for us, it's support first, ask questions later, you know, we don't really care if you're not under a support agreement or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. We don't need your customer number. We know who you are we yeah. um, recorded in your CR in our CRM. Let's just get it done. Let's get it fixed and we'll sort out the um the details later, so to speak.
0: Yeah. But you said when you started, you were working out of your dad's lab garage selling to competitors. How did that go? I mean oh,
3: it was a separate
0: um like
3: building. But separate. didn't they
0: know you you were the owner's son?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean listen, I still it's funny because I probably spent the first three or four years dealing with that. And, uh, you know, you you would say to them, well, this is a separate business and I don't – I'm not part of Georgia anymore. I don't draw a wage from them. I don't – you know, I mean, put it this way, George doesn't use Exocad as his primary design software. Now, if he was really in bed with me or really wanted to support me all that much, he would use absolutely everything that I sell. But he doesn't. He uses what suits him. So we are separate businesses, and we separate uh-huh. the whole family, I suppose, aspects of our of our businesses quite well. It's not to say we don't collaborate really well. The Milling Center is actually a separately branded uh, company. It's called Axios, uh-huh. and uh, it's still within my my building. But uh, you know, we've done a lot of collaborative work with some of his biggest competitors and him. You know, around particularly around full arch work, and I. You know, There's a, a certain level of maturity that has to be there. And it's funny, the largest competitors, the guys who are 30-man-plus labs, are ones that got over it quicker than the smaller guys because they're practical. They're like, well, this guy sells products and supports equipment better than anyone else. It doesn't matter what his surname is. And ultimately, sure. we yeah. want a little bit of what he's got, right? Yeah, you got to make a... Smart decision.
0: Well, yeah,
3: and I, listen, I'm—I don't favour one or one or the other. It's not like I'm out there, you know. If someone asks me, of course, you know, I'm, yeah, that's where I came from. You know, I managed quite a large laboratory, but at the end of the day, you know, that means absolutely nothing now. I live in the present. I, I focus on what's ahead of us with XYZ. and Z. Um, and yeah, most people have matured up about it. There's always instances and you're always going to cop some fun sure. people, but then at the end of the day, that's for them, you know. I would rather, if it was me, I'd rather work with a supplier that is going to give me the best possible support and service no matter what his background is. Having killed anyone, sure, I'm, you know, <laughs> 15 years ago I might have taken one of your clients when I was a charming um, business development manager, but now I'm old and grey approaching 40 and, you know, I'm doing my own thing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, uh, I'm here to support you. Um, so most people are happy with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When did the milling center come into play? Cause it sounds like you sold product or equipment first.
3: Oh, no, no. So I had a mill, let me see, that would have been a year into the business. Um, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, no, I, I was never going to be in a position where I could sell a milling machine without using um, uh, that one myself. I mean, of course, you know, Georgia had their own machines and my team, um, you know, had worked with similar mills in the past. So I needed to make sure that we were prepared. You know, a lot of the capital I, that I used at the start was about getting people trained up, sending them over to, you know, the states for 3D systems to learn the printers. Um, over to Germany, uh, to IMSI Corps, to learn about the mills and eventually over to um, the guys who make Millbox, the CAM software, so over to their, uh, yeah, their subsidiary in Thailand. So, you know, we, um, over time, um, made several trips around the world. Um, you know, and I should mention as well, I'm not the technical brains of the business, uh, so I don't, uh, you know, I don't repair milling machines myself, but... Um, you know, uh, I uh, at the end of the day, I play to my strengths, which is about developing processes and you know supporting the business and trying uh, for growth, um, not just from a top line or bottom line perspective, but also from exposure and and um, and, and ensuring that we can spread our network wider with people and uh, spread the message about, particularly these days, it's spreading the message around open workflows. Um, like klaus um you know like our nibbles that can speak to anything
0: so yeah so did you ever try to troubleshoot equipment or did you just know from the start like "Mm, not my thing
3: uh yeah i mean there's a couple of things i can troubleshoot but yeah it's not my thing i mean at the end of the day and you know at a stretch sure i can get someone out of trouble but um, sure i'm one of those i've got a bit of a a bit of an issue with perfectionism. So if I can't completely understand that machine from bottom to top to bottom, then I don't want to support it. Um, and, and I suppose that rubs off on the staff to an extent. I don't want to ever be in a position where someone asks me a question and I can't answer it. So for me, you know, yeah, sure, I can uh, I could certainly troubleshoot myself. Or I can get uh, you out of trouble, but I would rather have a good, apparatus and a good team in place and some depth in that team where we can uh, ensure that uh, we can get the customer back online and have the backup of the milling center there. If, you know, God forbid something goes wrong. Uh, and you get that we had a customer that they got completely flooded and we had all their bars for them. Yeah. For three weeks. Yeah. For, uh, so that's what the milling center is there for. It's for backup. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's all the same material the same equipment, so their clients don't see a difference or a hiccup.
3: Yeah, except they're just not getting it done in-house, you know. It's just that extra sure. time But, you know, we expedite all of that, um, and there's processes in place
0: for all that. So you sell a lot of different equipment, and mm-hmm. obviously you don't have people that can troubleshoot all of it, right? I mean, you have to have specialties within your staff?
3: No, not necessarily, and buy a lot of equipment. I mean, we've got... So, from a uh, milling machine perspective, we've got Roland and IMS Um, and their CAM softwares are all, they're based on Millbox. Um, so, even the Core has its own branded CAM, but it's effectively mm-hmm. with augmented strategies. Uh, Roland also uses Millbox too. Um, there's a Sega, so that's our only 3D printer. We don't sell any other 3D printers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's ExoCAD. And from a CapEx perspective, um, we've got a couple of furnaces as well. So... There's not a hell of a lot. We don't really uh, need to necessarily at this stage have specialties, although a couple of the guys, you know, a little bit better at Exocat than others. I also use the milling center as a means of graduating staff through. So one of my staff members was a manager of the milling center until about, let me see, six months ago. And I brought him on as a, um, a, a support person within XYZ, within the main, the mothership. And I'll, I'll continue to do that because I always say we use what we sell and sell what we use. So I genuinely want people in there that keep their eye in and actually understand how to use these machines on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, those those guys in support still go in to keep their eye in and will um, jump in and, and do some things in the milling center to ensure that, um, you know, they keep their form up. So to
0: speak. Well, yeah. I mean, the milling center has their own technical support right there with XYZ. I mean, they're just right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great, though. I mean, I love hearing that someone that repairs this stuff or troubleshoots it or whatever needs actually uses it. I can't tell you how many times I've had a piece of equipment and then somebody from the corporate shows up and They've obviously never used it. Yeah. They they know about it. They know how to open it up. They know how to unscrew things, but they don't use it. You know what I'm saying? I
3: totally agree, and I think that was where I if I go back to earlier in the conversation, I think that's where my whole thing on this is insane. Like you know, like a guy selling a car without a driver's license. Um, and there is, to be on and please please understand, this is absolutely no way any. Detraction from these people as being, you know, good workers and good people, and I suppose good for the industry. I mean, they certainly help us from a reputational standpoint, but it's just the way things have always been done. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, sure, you know, and I, I, totally understand how hard this is. Believe me, it is very hard to support Kegam. There are so many variables that you cannot control, especially when you are, you know, working with. I suppose, uh, clients who this is their first time of working with such a system or it's not and they're already used to a a particular system. It's always the way they've done things and you've got to be in there and and sort of reteach a few things to get rid of the bad habits. Yeah. And, you know, it is really difficult. So I I sympathize a lot with those um, service technicians that have, you know, previously worked on servers or they worked on... You know, I don't know some other CNC manufacturing equipment, and they've been parachuted in and told to understand how these micro CNC machines work um, without having the necessary training uh, or the daily practical knowledge. Sure. Um, that's where it's really hard. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally I, I get it, but this is how things should be done, and I know that in America. There are some companies like us. Uh, there are some in in, in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's, there's quite a bit of a difference.
0: Yeah. Are you the only one in Australia?
3: Uh, I'd, I'd say so. There might be. I mean, there's two that come to mind, but I think yeah. they're more leaning towards... Uh, the two that I think of are ones that were kind of opportunistic in that they were using... Uh, these particular pieces of equipment, and then the parent company over in Europe has gone. Well, wow, such a small industry there. Just give him the distributorship, and he can maybe sell a couple of machines to. Some sure. People. Yeah. So not to the standard I suppose that we're aiming for. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. In America, are there similar setups to what I'm talking about in terms of using what you sell and selling what you use on a smaller scale, or is it mainly the bigger guys like? If,
0: I would say there's a few that are kind of doing it like you do it, where they're not solely connected to one brand Mm -hmm. but they know what they're doing. Yeah. And then everything else I think comes from resellers or manufacturers. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure there's some labs that resell. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Again, like I I think
3: that it's a weird balance because I think that if you focus too heavily on the manufacturing side, then you can lose sight of effectively supporting clients after you've sold to them. And then if you focus too heavily on the selling side, well, then you have just become another big box reseller of KCAM and you're not actually supporting it well. It, it, clients don't really know until that happens to them. So oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a thing. It's like I've always said that support is like, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this, but support is like sex and water. <laughs> it's the most important thing in the world when you don't have it. <laughs> I, I think what happens is a customer will contact us, will speak to one of the sales team, and will say, "Hey, I want to buy this intraoral scanner." And like, yeah, sure, here's a price. Oh, but I can get that uh, scanner cheaper because some implant companies bundle me with a hundred implants, and. You're like, well, we don't bundle things in and have you considered uh, the support uh, that you'd be getting with a scanner? Oh, that's fine. It just scans. It'll be fine. Okay. Right. Sure, and three months later, you get a phone call from that customer. Oh, geez, we really should have gone with you. This has been a nightmare. Now, yeah. the thing is, they hear what they want to hear as well because quite often the clients are told from the start that we're just supplying a scanner. You'll get your rudimentary basic training and that's it. And they kind of hear what they want to hear because they see the dollar sign and the dollar sign is less than a dollar sign that you presented them with. So the challenge always is, is that are they getting value? Uh, are they getting value for money from what we're providing them? Because what we're providing them is more than just a, a scanner or a, or a mill or a, a printer, but it's a means of producing and It's all other good to have that mill there, but if you don't show people maintenance protocols around it so they actually look after the machine, you don't train them beyond uh, producing a basic crown, Mm -hmm. you don't show them how to manage the milling strategies, then they're not gonna get the best out of the mill. And whatever money they've saved has been sunk. So they need to see the value in, in working with us. Mind you though, I mean, we've come to a point now in our maturity as a business that we compete on price as well. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it starts really getting into the nitty gritty, I tend to walk away from a lot of conversations because um, the customer will never, you know, has to see the value in, in, in us uh, supporting them. But yeah, increasingly they are because increasingly they all experience some sort of horror story.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier how in older days, people didn't get the training they needed, but I'm seeing that as a new trend now. And I go to offices and they just bought an iOS and Mm. nobody came to show them how to use it. It was all done on video. Mm, Yeah, And I'm like, yowzer, you spent how much? And they didn't even bother to show up. And they're like, no, it was just a a video on how to use it. I'm like, oh my.
3: Yeah, I just... Again, for some people that may be fine. It shouldn't be though. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I totally agree. You know, and uh, during COVID we had this, the harshest lockdowns uh, in the world. Sure. You know? And one of the things that we had to do was, you know, learn to be, uh, you know, agile and, and work out ways that still support clients. So, you know, we brought on uh, AR technology through TeamViewer pilot. A whole bunch of glasses that we sent out to clients to perform basic kind of troubleshooting or even mm-hmm. repairs because we literally could not leave our state. We leave our yeah. city. And at one point, we couldn't leave more than five kilometers away from our homes. You know, I think that if the energy is there and you want to get out there, you don't have to always physically get out there. But you got to do more than YouTube videos. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. I was I don't even remember which year this was because COVID was such a blow, but <laughs> I think it might have been at the end of 2020. I had a client who purchased quite a large uh, milling machine, the Corotech 350i Pro. Now he had advised us uh, prior to Christmas that I want to get this thing installed, and in the first week of January, I've got a bunch of uh, bars that I want to have milled, and I want them all done in the first week of January. I'm like, well, the earliest we can come out to you will be on the 4th of January. He said, uh, yeah, sure, okay, not a problem. So we booked in the guys that go over. Now, on the 31st of December, so New Year's Eve, I'm out for a, a very early dinner because I have two small children. At the time, I think Estelle, my youngest, would have been only less than a year old and Claudia would have been four years old. Yeah, maybe an early dinner, it's only like quarter past five, as you do with kids. And my wife. Leans over and she says, Have you seen the news? She was just scrolling through her phone and said, No. She says, The Western Australian Premier, which is uh, where Perth is, uh, has just closed down the state, effective immediately. So you guys aren't going to Perth next week. So at that point, I said, Right. So had a little bit of a panic attack on the spot. Sure. I pulled up the client and I said, Hey, listen, this is where i will be able to do this. Is right Well, I don't care. You know, I can't remember what it was, but he, had some sort of background in engineering, he said, oh, I can work it out. Said, well, no, you're not. You know, we don't want you touching that mill because, you know, it's going to become a problem for us when it stops working. Mm-hmm. I I've got it. I said, mm, hang on, I've got an idea. So I said to the wife, uh, just wait here for a minute. Zipped down to the office, which is about 10 minutes away from where we're eating dinner. Got a pair of AR glasses that I'd only just picked up and started playing with, you know, a week or so before, popped them in the mail. Dropped it off at the post office, which thankfully was still open at that time. Yeah, and I said we'll do your install, and he said okay. What well, changed your mind? I go if you receive these AR glasses in the mail in time, we're going to do your install. And that following uh, week after the um, the holiday period, we installed his mill remotely using TeamViewer Pilot, um, and um, you know setting 3D markers and animations and that, in his field of vision, and he was able to install his mill. And it worked fantastic in our first week. No problems at all, milling bars. In fact, he was late on his first service. We always book in a service a year later, but he had gone away and his mill was working fine. So there's a lot you can do. If you've got the energy and the agility uh, to support people, you'll find a way. And, um, yeah, that was a really good example of yeah. yeah. you don't have to necessarily be there, but you have to be there. That makes sense. Now, had I just sent over a, a guy who used to, service dental chairs and he went there with a a user manual and a 33 step process on how to install this machine probably would have gotten less value out of us actually doing that of us getting him with his own hands to install the machine whilst we were his eyes and ears so yeah I I think there's much to be said about presence and whether physical presence and also I suppose virtual presence
0: uh, what's more powerful. How many times did you end up doing installs like that? Uh, a bunch?
3: Yeah, a bunch of them. Um, not, yeah. not as many, so larger mills like that. No, uh, we, we kept that to an absolute minimum, yeah. um, uh, only because of, yeah, there's, there's quite a few variables that you need to, um, take into account, you know, physically being there is always, you know, the, the first option, but then it's not the only option, um, And that's the point I'm trying to make. So, same goes with sport.
0: Sure. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about the ADIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on the board of the Australian Dental Industry Association. Talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so, um, listen, it's it's obviously a a, a non-executive role, and uh, I'm really proud to to be involved in that. So, the ADIA is the body which represents the dental industry. So we don't work together with, but we, we do collaborate with other associations. So, for example, the Australian Dental Association who uh, represent uh, the profession, uh, so oh, dentists. Um, and then there's a donor. They represent the oral health therapists um, and, and a few others, the guys who represent the dental procedures and like the ADPA. Um, so, yeah, so a number of years ago, I actually contacted uh, the offices of the ADIA to... Complain about something. And I think it was <laughs> a boost allocation because the ADIA runs the um, our main exhibitions here. So the APAC. AIA, Yeah, which is a fantastic show. If you ever come down to Australia, you should come and see it. But, um, you know, it's the largest show, I believe, in in our region. Um, so even in some parts of, uh, it might even be the largest show in, in APAC. I'm not sure. But in either case, oh no, it would have been because of Singapore, but in either case, you know, we had um, a really crappy booth allocation. So I contacted ADIA and started complaining. And the lady on, on the phone there said, uh, well, we've got a really transparent process here. It's a ballot. And she tried to explain everything and also try to explain all the other benefits of being an ADIA member, which includes, you know, some membership into the industry of Australia, which is and offers, um, you know, really good benefits for business you know, development sure. and webinars, like webinars, all that stuff. She started explaining all this. I said, yeah, 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 I'm not worried about all that. And, you know, I just want a better booth allocation. She goes, well, if you don't like our processes, if you don't like what the ADIA is doing, then perhaps, you know, you should do something about it as a member. You can always get involved and volunteer. And I went, sure, fine. <laughs> no worries. And I was a little bit, you know, I was being unreasonable, of course. And she pretty much said, well, you should just run for election then, you know, or do something. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then, you know, I started to learn a lot more about what the ADIA provides members, and it's exceptional. I mean, there's, we're effectively all volunteers, and even the salaried members, the executive members, they certainly punch above their weight. Um, They've done some amazing things in terms of working with government in advocating for better oral health outcomes for all Australians.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
3: And they've they've been fantastic. So I ran for president and I was like the dog that chased the car. The car stopped. But oh, so I won? Okay. (sighs) And so I ran for Victorian branch president. um, And then after that, really immersed myself in the ADIA you know, getting out to a lot of members and talking to them. And, and some of them are competitors as well. But we, we leave all that at the door and we work uh, for the betterment of the industry and, therefore, for oral health in Australia. A couple of years into being the president, I was appointed to the board So uh, as a result of me uh, representing all the other presidents within Australia. And um, I absolutely have loved the experience. I, You know, I, I want to do a lot more, of course, but, like, the other members i run my own business but i do try and get out there and speak to as many members as possible work on getting as much feedback as we can to improve our advocacy for the industry in australia you know try and do a lot of work around getting awareness around some of the benefits that kids can get in australia so we have a thing called the oral benefits the 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 child dental uh, benefits schedule so it gives kids you know, I think around a $1,000 worth of free dental care every two years if they meet the criteria. But it's not really being taken up because it hasn't been exposed to uh, enough people. So, you know, we're just doing our very best to support the industry, but also um, really advocate for better oral health outcomes for Australians. So, it's
0: been great. What's the law in Australia? Can anybody be a dental technician or do you have to have a degree? I know it's different country to country. We could be here all night. Um... <laughs> Maybe we should have started with this conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, oh God, this is going to bring me into the whole conversation around the TGA, which is our equivalent of the FDA. But what I will say, and we can probably have a conversation about this another time, Albus. But yeah. what I will say is that about twenty years ago, just over twenty years ago, we completely deregistered the dental technicians in Australia. So what that meant was that you didn't have to be a certified dental technician to work in a lab. Mm-hmm. Up until mm-hmm. that time you had to be certified or you had to have a I believe at the time you had to have an apprenticeship or a traineeship to be allowed to work in a laboratory because you are effectively working on custom-made medical devices. Sure. sure. Once they decided to deregulate that, it meant that technicians weren't compelled to go back and do continuing professional development. So don't go back and get your points to sort of make sure that you keep your registration, right? Yeah,
0: you don't need to anymore.
3: Problem with that is is that there's all these new technologies that could have adverse effects down the line on patients. So, for example, if you don't properly post-process a night guard and it's not fully cured, then that can have an adverse effect on the patient, which can cause, you know, which which could be a problem for everybody.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now, if
3: that same technician who didn't do the post-processing work had been compelled to go back and do his CPD, he would have done his CPD on things that relate to him. And one of the things that relate to him is... This new whiz technology of 3D printing, you know, night guard, and then post-processing it in a polymerization unit, right? Yeah. Now, this kind of then ties into my whole argument of, well, why the hell haven't we done this? Why haven't we re-regulated you know, dental technicians to compel them to go back and do their training? Because they will do it on things that are important, that are contemporary, that they're going to use. So, I mean, that would be my argument. It's, I suppose, not really up to me. It's not even, I mean, I don't speak for the ADIA and it's just a, you know, a, a board member, but, uh, you know, we don't really have anything to do with that. But on a personal level, having come from a laboratory uh, background and having seen the professionalism that laboratories had in those days, and they're owned by master technicians rather than accountants. I would like to go back to that. I'd like to go back to those professional standards. I'd like to go back to that propensity to continue to educate yourself. You know, I think one of the saddest stories i ever heard was obviously China isn't regulated. And a friend of mine was dating a Chinese girl and they went back to China and they went and visited one of her friends' uh, laboratories at Image. Now, this lab had two and a half thousand people in it. Yeah.
4: Two
3: and a half thousand people. And he met a gentleman who sat there all day painting dyes. Hmm. That's how much work that they had. So he literally sat there with a little brush. He was just painting the dyes all day. That's all he did. And I'm like, well, that sucks. (laughs) You don't have to be a technician to do that. Definitely not. And no. poor guys just doing this menial, boring, mindless task that isn't meaningful. And uh, you know, I, I think it would be great. I don't don't know who could change that, but it certainly would be good if they could certify technicians again. Uh, is America decertified
0: as well? Oh, we've never been certified. It's it's scary. I tell people all the time. My mom could open a lab tomorrow, and she knows nothing about it. Oh
3: well. Like we have here, we've got accountants own laboratories. Um, and they just see it as a numbers game. I mean, I'm not gonna go into the whole outsourcing thing, but there's guys who are just sending all this stuff yeah. and they just see it as a numbers thing. We've got one guy QCing everything and and that's it. But I know in Europe, I, I believe most countries in Europe still uh, certify their technicians. Yep. I just think that you would have less issues around registering medical devices. You wouldn't. You probably wouldn't need to be as stringent. You'd probably want to nail down on the importers, of course, ensuring that um, they have the certificates of conformity all lined up and um, they're meeting all the requirements and they're batch tracking and doing all those things. And then you'd want to hope that technicians are continually kept to
0: account to understand what they're working with. I agree. I mean, I kind of wish regulation would happen here. Honestly, it would be a huge disruption into the industry, and I think sure. we'd lose a lot of employees. But for the greater good, I think there has to be some sort of regulation.
3: Well, is there a skill shortage in the US regards to technicians?
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely.
3: So the thing is, where I look at it is, yeah, sure, we might go two steps back because then you lose even more technicians. Uh, but then. Wouldn't it make being a dental technician more attractive as a career path, knowing that you have to go and get your piece of paper, that it is effectively a profession? Yeah. And see, that's my argument is, you know, unless they scale it. Again, I'm I'm talking nonsense here because I have no idea who would do this and it'd be great if someone would do it, but I, I don't see anyone doing it. I don't even know who would be responsible for no. it. But let's just say in, in utopia here, um, if they do this <laughs> and said that, you know, You guys need to get registered in the next three to five years, whatever it is. And at that point, you can start promoting dentistry as a quality career path. And for the guys who've fallen short, that aren't quite clever enough to be dentists. Oh, sure. I say it with very bold inverted uh, commas. To be be dentists, they may have fallen short. They may... um, you know, maybe looking at other industries where they're producing uh, custom-made medical devices, but this one actually has a profession attached to it. It's got a piece of paper. It's something that is transferable that I can take um, overseas. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, uh, I, I know that uh, I've, I've got a nephew who's like 16, 17, has no idea what he wants to do. It wouldn't be great to go to him and say, hey, mate, you can get your piece of paper. And, you know, this is a, uh, this is a profession.
0: Oh, I agree. I mean, here in the States, you need a piece of paper to cut somebody's hair or give somebody a massage, but to recreate fully functioning dental, no, you don't need it. Isn't that just nuts? It's mental. It's insane. (laughs) Totally. Yeah.
3: I'm actually surprised. I thought the States
0: would have had that in place, but... uh... (laughs) Sorry to burst your bubble. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, cool. Well, Sam, this has been great. Thank you so much. I've loved kind of the looking in the industry in Australia. We talked to a lot of suppliers and customer service, but none from Australia. And I appreciate your perspective you brought Thank you. Uh, and listen, and
3: Alvis, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And I'd like to do it more offline, of course. And I've always said that uh, I love making connections and, and meeting new people. And uh, and certainly from, it, it's weird, you're so far away, but, uh, you know, we share a very similar kind of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing where your stories come from, it's, it's, it's just great to, to chat. So I, I really do appreciate it.
0: No, Absolutely. Thanks for giving us a glimpse into tomorrow.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tomorrow's going to be a great day. I've got a a full day of work to go ahead with, and you've probably got a nice scotch um, to have before you head off to bed.
0: I'm heading to bed. (laughs) Lovely, Awesome, Sam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elvis. Take care. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Have a great night. Bye. Have you ever wanted to learn ExoCAD? Do you find learning a new design software overwhelming or just too costly because you have to go to a course that takes a whole weekend? Even if you've never used a design software before, we have the perfect solution for you to begin your ExoCAD journey. Head over to InstituteofDigitalDentistry.com and select the Mastering ExoCAD Course, broken down into three segments. The Amazing Marjorie will take you through fundamentals, then immediate, and then advanced courses, leaving you with the confidence to tackle most cases that come into your lab. I personally am going through all 70 lessons and find it one of the most thorough courses that I can take at my own pace. And for being a listener of the podcast, if you enter the code VOICES, which is V-O-I-C-E-S, when checking out. IDD will take an additional 10% off any course they offer, and they offer a ton of content for labs and clinics. Head over to the Institute of Digital Dentistry dot com for this
2: episode show notes for more information. A big thanks to Sam for joining Elvis on the podcast. Uh, Barb is so sorry she was unable to make the conversation, we appreciate you coming on and as Elvis said, giving us and our listeners a different perspective on our industry from another country. If anyone in Australia is interested in getting equipment from a company that actually uses the same equipment on a daily basis, head over to xyzdental.com.au. Sam seriously sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Thanks, Sam, and good luck on your future success and getting regulation back in Australia. Sometimes it only takes one voice to start a change.
1: Oh, I love that. Thank you,
2: Joe. Every time you come on, I think we're going to be out of work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to start anything, but, you know, I love supporting you guys. And don't forget, I'm your number one fan. And we
0: love you, too.
2: Almost every week, Barb
0: mentions you. I usually edit it out. (laughs) It's too much of an inside joke. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Not live from Tampa, but they're live from Tampa. We will talk to you next week. Yeah. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. But you have to do it in Barb's voice. <laughs>